If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 123 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but those Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on December 5th, the final month of 2021. I don't know about you, I hope you're doing well, my friends, but... After all the chaos and flurry of signings and or trades, mainly signings, now being in total silence with all things baseball, I've got a serious case of the lockout blues. (laughs) And we all knew it was coming. I mean, we've been mentioning it since last year. When all the drama with the owners and Players Association took place when they were trying to figure out how to play amidst the pandemic in 2020. And we were all saying, my God in heaven, how's it going to be when the CBA expires? And that's been looming over our heads for months now. More and more as this month, marking the expiration of said CBA, drew closer and closer. And now we've arrived. And for the first time since 1994, nearly 30 years ago, baseball is locked out. And we only hope it doesn't affect the play of baseball itself into 2022. That's the main thing, both spring training and the regular season, because obviously that's the top priority, not having it affect 2022 baseball. And like I said before, even going back to last week's episode last Sunday, But even a bit before that, I mean, there were signings and trades at a frequency I've never seen before in my 14 or 15 years as a baseball fan. I mean, it was incredible. And if you remember from last week, Jeff Passan warned us all about it. He said these next 24 hours are going to be just crazy. But when I was reacting to the signings of Buxton, Semyon, Avisayo Garcia... And yes, things happened before that too, but that was just the beginning. It continued right away, even after I stopped recording and even released last week's episode. All the way through to the lockout Wednesday night, or should I say Thursday morning at 12.01 a.m. Eastern. Wednesday going into Thursday. Players flying off the board as fast as the eye can see. (laughs) As many moves as around four dozen before the lockout. Total. Four dozen! (laughs) I mean, that's wild, wild stuff, my baseball brothers and sisters. Four dozen moves around that, give or take, all together, going back to the beginning of the offseason, heading up to the lockout, mainly done last Sunday, all the way up until the lockout Wednesday night going into Thursday. And I'm going to, for the most part, do a speed run through basically all of them, just to show you, remind you, how freaking nuts this all was. (laughs) Especially for all of those who were out of the loop on all of it or couldn't even keep up because there was so much. (laughs) 
Now, our Yankees, amidst all this hullabaloo, I have no idea where that just came from. I can't believe I just said that, by the way. (laughs) Did absolutely nothing. And that's got some people fired up. And despite the acknowledgement that the offseason isn't over yet, obviously, still lots of time left to go, if they reach an agreement sooner rather than later on the CBA, and also realizing it was possible the entire time that the Yanks might want to wait for the new CBA to be agreed upon, we've spoken about that possibility, but despite those realizations, I'm not thrilled that they did nothing either. Because, I mean, it's never fun to see a big party going on with lots of others, in this case the lots of others being nearly all the other teams in baseball, while yours does absolutely nothing. I'm not going to pretend I'm totally fine with that. There was a name or maybe two out there that I would have liked for the Yankees to at least try to go after, and maybe even get. And obviously they didn't. But also, most of these moves that were made all throughout the offseason so far, but especially from last Sunday to Wednesday, the vast majority, in fact, were either players the Yankees just weren't going to get realistically or weren't even on their radar. And whether that's right or wrong of them to not even have them on their radar is another story, but, (laughs) with certain guys, but as a matter of fact, like I just mentioned, maybe only a couple were players that bothered me that didn't come to the Yankees. I would have liked for them to have them, or at least get in touch with them. And I'll mention them as we go through, as a reminder. But many of the players the Yankees have been associated with, and I'd still like for them to have, are still out there. And I'll probably hit on that a bit later too in our social media segment for the week. Because big names are still out there to address big gaping holes that the Yankees have, and there still are a good amount to fill, many of which basically except for starting pitching basically at this point, we've already spoken in depth about this offseason. And we'll probably go in on starting pitching next week because, I mean, with this lockout and nothing at all able to happen now, no talks or negotiating with players or between teams, nothingness, we've got all the time in the world, don't we? So, we've got time. (laughs) And I've even had people ask, Mike, is Yapping Yankees going to continue? Absolutely nothing's going to be happening in the baseball world. Well, my answer is still the same as it always was, with everything. With the exception of just a couple of weeks I usually take off in the offseason, this year probably just Christmas weekend and maybe one weekend in the middle of January, important things going on. The answer is, hell yes, Yapping Yankees is going to continue. True content creators always put out good, worthwhile content even when nothing's going on. And I've always done shows even when nothing's happening. It's still a great time. So, if you have a case of the lockout blues, like yours truly, fear not, because Yapping Yankees will help carry you through your lockout blues. Sound good? Good. It better. (laughs) All right, guys. So enough fooling around. We'll be running through all the craziness, all while our Yanks sat idly by and again did absolutely nothing. Hence the episode title, in case you were confused. (laughs) Although they did tender everybody eligible for them, they did tender contracts. All those who were eligible for contract tendering, I'll hit on that. And also, I'll just mention this right now because I don't want to forget later, and there's not too much to say about it necessarily, other than giving the update itself, but the Yankees did also fill two coaching vacancies. I mean, there's no better time to do it while nothing else can happen, but... They filled the hitting coach and the assistant hitting coach vacancies. For hitting coach, 
they promoted minor league hitting coordinator Dylan Lawson and for assistant hitting coach Desi Dreskel. I think that's how you say it. So a couple of player development staffers, that's who they are, promoting them from the minor leagues to the major leagues. And I'm totally fine with this, honestly. Of course, time will ultimately tell, but obviously, especially for those who follow the minor leagues, you should especially know this. Obviously, a lot of the best Yankee hitting prospects have recently had great seasons. And especially Dylan Lawson, who's apparently a very forward-thinking guy, has played a massive part in a lot of that in the development of some of these guys. So, obviously, they seem to like their philosophies and they want to try it out in the majors with the big boys. So, we'll see how this goes. Their philosophies have definitely been said to be highly regarded, so... As of now, I think these are solid hires, personally. Now, if you remember, though, Cashman said they were going to have three hitting coaches and three pitching coaches, so if he follows through on that, along with all the other coaching vacancies that still need to be filled, of course, I would expect one more hitting coach hire. But for now, I love what I hear about Dylan Lawson, and the evidence with the minor league hitting prospects is definitely all there. (laughs) So, if these philosophies could work in the major leagues, then we should see some pretty significant hitting improvements come 2022, and if that happens, and I'm very much looking forward to it. Like I said, obviously time will tell, but for now, I think these are really good hires. And at this point, I'm just borderline begging for it to work out <laughs> after the way 2021 went with the offense. I, I cannot do anything remotely close to that again. <laughs> All the vast underperforming like that. It was borderline torture. It really, it wasn't borderline torture, it was straight up torture, let's be honest. But, back to setting the table up for today. So those are your hitting coach hires, the Yankees did fill those vacancies. But, we'll yap about all the craziness from the first half of the week, along with the Yankees tendering contracts, all of that will be in news. And then for today's social media segment, we're going to talk about how we're all feeling about our Yankees going into this lockout, in which of course, Nothing can happen going forward until a new CBA is agreed upon. You can vent if you're frustrated. You can be calm about it and say there's still time yet. You can sort of balance those two and say both if you're frustrated that they didn't do anything but still acknowledge that there's still time left to go. Or you can even vent about the frustrations with the lockout itself. And of course, there is plenty of time for that final option. So... We've got lots to do today, my friends. Let's get to it. But first, quick reminder, visit Ball9's website, ball9.com, and follow them on all social medias at Ball9. And while you're at it, of course, guys, follow yours truly on all social medias. Follow my Facebook fan page, Mike Scudero NY, on Twitter, at Mike Scudero, and on Instagram, Mike Scuds. 97 and also subscribe to yapping yankees on all four platforms it's available on please be sure to subscribe youtube apple spotify and soundcloud leave a like below if you're on youtube if you're listening there and leave a review on all the others show it that love like you're so good at already doing every single week guys and now on to news we go So after I reacted last week live on last week's episode to Byron Buxton, Avisayo Garcia, and Marcus Semien's signings, if you remember, all of which happened while I was recording, that was pretty cool, but like I said before in the introduction, after I was done recording, as I expected deep down, 
deals still weren't done. Nowhere near done. (laughs) As Jeff Passan said last Sunday, and I reiterated this in the intro too, and I think it's safe to say, as all of us also expected in anticipation of certain teams and players trying to get things done in a rush before December 1st, the intense off-season hot stove action continued. Big time. Last Sunday night, around the time I released last Sunday's episode, Kevin Gossman, another big name on the starting pitching market, was signed by a divisional rival for the Yankees, the Toronto Blue Jays. Five years, $110 million. So, another AL East team making a move at the time, and this time on a solid pitcher. So, for whenever we do get around to starting pitching, Kevin Gossman was definitely one of the guys I was going to bring up. He's off the market. Off the board, signed with the Blue Jays. Also on Sunday night, Sandy Alcantara re-signed with the Marlins, five years, 56 million, and John Gray, another starting pitcher off the market now that a lot of people were associating with the Yankees. Some wanted the Yankees to get him. I'm personally not that big of a fan of the guy, but he signed with the Rangers after the Rangers already signed Marcus Semien earlier in the evening, so they had a busy Sunday. And of course, that would continue going on in a couple of days after that, as we know, with a big deal that went down. We'll get to that in a minute. But four years, $56 million for Gray. And I'm about to rhyme again, but after signing Gray, what a crazy day overall. <laughs> Most of which was reacted to live by yours truly right here on Yapping Yankees, as you remember. Now, from Sunday night into Monday... There were also intense rumors that lit the baseball world on fire that Scherzer was likely going to head to the Mets. I mean, not only is that wild in itself because of their three signings in one day just two days prior, but those are the sport's two best pitchers right now, he and DeGrom. One and two. And those rumors continued all throughout Monday. And while they did, even more smaller signings happened. Veteran reliever Luis Avilan, the Yanks had him for about five minutes if you remember, he re-signed with the Nationals, Michael Lorenzen went to the Angels, and there was lots of quote-unquote these teams and others are in on so-and-so. It was chaotic, as we all expected. And it got even crazier when Scherzer became official. After all those rumors of him being linked to the Mets came true, it became official. Three years, $130 million. Between 43 and $44 million per year, which shattered the annual average earnings record, (laughs) previously held by Garrett Cole, who was just, of course, signed by the Yankees a couple of years ago. So, it's the new annual average record, not even including the deferred money from the Nationals, by the way, (laughs) for three years at age 37, going on 38. Crazy few days for the Mets, from last Friday to when this happened. And yeah, you want to talk about Scherzer a little bit? You want to hear my take on it? Fine, we'll go in on it a little bit. It's not really to do with the Yankees, so I don't want to spend too much time on it, but we'll talk about it a little bit. Is Scherzer up there in age? Yeah. Is that a crap ton of money? Yeah. Has he had injury problems, especially of late? Yeah. And that's probably the iffy part. He and DeGrom have had injury issues, and recently. 
especially Scherzer in the World Series with his arm just going dead. But you know what? It's money that Cohen was willing to spend. And it's Max freaking Scherzer. (laughs) So I'd probably do it too. And the last thing I'm going to do is crap on anyone for a move as huge as this. Yeah, the injury risk is there. I'm not debating that. It's there. I just mentioned, in the playoffs, in the biggest game when they needed his arm, it went dead, and he didn't pitch when they needed him to, the Dodgers being. And there is the age, too. But I'm sorry to those who don't like this move or think it's too big of a risk for the Mets, but it's still Max freaking Scherzer to me. I mean, this is huge. I mean, it's unreal. Max Scherzer is a Met. (laughs) And if he and DeGrom stay healthy, and that is an if, it is an if, a big one. But if they do, that's going to be a devastating top of the rotation. I mean, the most devastating in a very long time, if you ask me. That's just, it's as devastating as it gets. I mean, if nothing else, I personally massively respect the commitment to put the sport's two best pitchers together in the same rotation, even with the risk. And of course, if it doesn't work out, that's going to be a lot of money blown for Scherzer. Of course, I get it. But let's not pretend like most of or all of us Yankee fans wouldn't be ecstatic with the Yankees saying, screw it and signing Max Scherzer. Let's not pretend that wouldn't be the case, all right? I know that there are a lot of people out there who genuinely think that this deal is too big of a risk for the Mets and that it was actually an iffy to a bad move. And with the injury risk, I do hear the people saying that, along with the risk of committing for three years because of his age. But let's not pretend like most of the fan base wouldn't be completely over the moon about this. Because they would be. And I'd be one of them. I would respect the gutsiness of going after Max Scherzer. Top pitcher in the sport, next to guys like DeGrom and Cole. I mean, come on. I'm certainly, and I'm certainly not going to go after the Mets and their fans who have had to endure so many painful years of cheaping out under the Wilpons. And now they could finally experience the joy of what it's like to just say, screw it, throw caution to the wind, spend money on a top athlete in the sport. I can't go after someone like that or their fans. I just can't. So while I acknowledge the risk, it's a huge move. And it's clearly, as I said before, money that Steve Cohen is willing to spend. So like with everything else, of course, we're going to see how this how this goes. We'll see how it works out in time. And like I said before, it doesn't really have anything to do with the Yanks, obviously. Especially given the fact that not only did I never think they would get Max anyway, but they apparently weren't even in play for him, basically. Which does bother me a bit. At least reach out and check in, dude. (laughs) I mean, just check in. What's the harm in that? Even if you're not willing to come to the terms of what he's looking for, I mean, just check in. And maybe they did, it just wasn't reported. But, I mean, according to reports, they were never even in on the guy. (sighs) But I had to address it at least a little bit, Max going to the Mets, because it's a big deal. How do you not at least mention that? along with all the other crazy amounts of signings that went on this past week, and even before that. But, especially with the Crosstown rival, a top pitcher in the sport going to the Mets alongside another top pitcher in the sport. (laughs) I don't know how you don't address that. But anyways, after this, of course, there was still plenty of action to be seen with two more days until the first. 
Also on Monday, right after the Scherzer announcement, the Yanks actually made a move. A small one. Which is pretty typical of them after another team makes a massive move. (laughs) Just a depth move, basically. Just that they signed 27-year-old shortstop Jose Peraza to a minor league deal. Don't get confused with Oswald Peraza and the Yankees minor league system. This is Jose Peraza, who's coming over from the Mets. And you may know him from the Mets last year. He played 64 games, and he's basically just a depth move. That's really all it is. Nothing to go wild over. Darren O'Day, otherwise, signed a minor league deal with the Atlanta Braves. As expected, he is not returning to the Yanks, and instead, he's actually going right back to the Braves, which is where he was in 2019 and 2020, before coming to the Yanks for 2021. (laughs) So he's going right back to where he was before he came over to the Yankees. Uh, Also on Sunday, like Kevin Gossman, scratched another starting pitcher off the market. Robbie Ray, 2021 Cy Young Award winner, of course, signed with the Mariners, an almost identical deal to Kevin Gossman as well, just $5 million more overall, five years, $115 million instead of Gossman's $110. More players gone, basically all of which the Yanks weren't really in on, but Still had us wondering at the time, even at, especially after Robbie Ray signed. Apparently, he never even had intentions of coming to the Yankees. But regardless, in any event, everyone was still asking, where are the Yankees? Are they alive? Does Brian Cashman have a pulse? Is there any sign of life whatsoever? Must we perform CPR? And then, finally, someone who was reportedly on their radar went. The Rangers weren't done. Not just overall, but not even with their middle infield after Semyon. They then, on Monday evening, signed the first long-term mega contract of the 2021 offseason. Basically, the only one that's happened so far, more or less. Semyon's was big, but this one is the real big First real mega contract. And I'm surprised even one of these got done before the CBA expiration. I expected basically all of them to wait until after. And there are others still waiting until after a new CBA is agreed upon, like Carlos Correa, for instance. But I also expected, even though there were rumors going back weeks that Corey Seager's market was heating up and blah, blah, blah. But I still expected him to wait until after the CBA. Anybody to wait until after the CBA looking for a contract like this. But the Rangers after spending that money on Semyon already on their middle infield, signed Corey Seager to a 10-year, $325 million contract. That is a massive commitment, (laughs) especially for a team that still has as many holes in it as the Rangers do. So some may be a little confused by moves like this, and I am a bit too. And there's a good chance that Seager might not even spend the entire contract there. As a matter of fact, if I were a betting man, I would bet that he doesn't. I would bet that he's traded long before those 10 years are up. But in any event, when it comes to a team, regardless of who it was going to be, we we saw this kind of contract coming for Seager. Despite the injuries he's had in the past and, and whatnot, the, the faults that he has defensively, even though he's not awful defensively, he's just not on par with someone like Carlos Correa, for instance. But we saw this sort of a contract for Corey Seager coming. We saw it coming. But 
damn. <laughs> you combine that with Semyon's contract and the Rangers out of nowhere. Like I said, on top of still having other holes to fill throughout their team, have now committed a half a billion dollars, billion with a B, to their middle infield. (laughs) Think about that for a second. So with Seager signed before December 1st, which some saw as possible before and did end up happening, some others didn't, I didn't expect it, so I was... I was wrong on that one. That left Correa and Trevor Story remaining in that elite shortstop class that we have been blessed with this offseason. Baez, too, if you want to include him. I was right about others like Correa and possibly Story being held off until after a new CBA is agreed upon, but for Corey Seager, I expected him to be there, too, and he's not anymore, so I'm taking the L on that one. (laughs) But I definitely didn't see the Yankees at this point. Needless to say, I didn't see them getting Correa anymore, given what Seager got, knowing that Correa would want more. (laughs) So then at that point, when it comes to the Yankees getting Correa, and still a bit now, even though I sort of, if they were looking to get a stopgap shortstop, like the rumors have said, if they were willing to do that, then I think they would have probably committed to that already instead of still hanging back and not getting a shortstop yet. That sort of makes me think they could be waiting until after the CBA is over to see if they would be willing to spend that kind of money on Correa or maybe Trevor Story. Story will get less than Correa, but you get what I mean. I just think a a, a part of my brain thinks that if they were going to wait for a stopgap shortstop, then that probably would have happened already, whether it be Kiner Falefa, like was rumored, or Andrelton Simmons, who we've mentioned plenty before. But them hanging around in the game makes me sort of think, oh, they could be gearing up to spend that kind of money. I mean, who knows? But then realistically, knowing how the Yankees, except for Garrett Cole, of course, which I'm not ignoring, but the Yankees' hesitancy to spend that kind of money, which it's a lot of money. It's a lot. I'm not downplaying it. But if they really want the best shortstop out there or the best shortstops, I'd be happy, plenty happy with Correa or Story. They're going to have to open up the wallet. And other than that, most of the time, you just, the confidence is low for the Yankees doing that. Again, except for an instance like Garrett Cole, which I'm not forgetting or downplaying. But, I mean, given what Seager got, who I think is a step down from Correa. I mean, Seager's great, don't get me wrong. Great left-handed hitter, puts the, puts the bat on the ball. And although he's not fantastic defensively, he's also not awful. He really isn't. He'd still be a great player to have. He really would. If Corey Seager was signed to the Yankees, some people would probably have a thing or two to say about that contract, But if he came to the Yankees, I mean, I would have been perfectly fine with that. And I think most of the fan base would have been too. But given what he got, I mean, I think it's safe to say that Correa is going to get more. And given what he got and knowing the approach the Yankees seem to be taking, regardless of whether waiting until a new CBA is agreed upon is their ultimate plan or has been all along or not, it just made my confidence just plummet in them getting a Correa or even a story. But, of course, this stuff is a ways away from being solved, and we've got plenty of time to harp on all of it because God only knows how long this lockout's going to last, and throughout all of it, not a damn thing can happen. So we've got all the time in the world to talk about all of this. But then, after all that happened, shifting to the catcher position on Monday night, another position we've spoken all about, at catcher, Jacob Stallings from Pittsburgh 
We spoke about him, especially terrific defensively, a gold glove catcher, and I definitely had a lot of good things to say about him. But he is now a Marlin. So the Pirates traded him to Miami. So Stallings, if the Yankees are looking for catchers, some reports said that they were at least considering him, well, he's off the board now too. And he's one of those ones that I would have really liked. I mean, he'd give you some things maybe with the bat here and there, but primarily, the thing that I care about mostly these days is having a really good quality defensive catcher behind the plate. And even though Gary's had his moments here and there where he makes good defensive plays, especially attributing to the great arm he has, you can't deny that about Gary, he's got a great arm, but except for those occasional moments where Gary shows some good stuff defensively, for the most part, he's a liability back there. And I've just so missed the days of having a competent defensive catcher. And I just really, really want one. And Stallings would have been great for that. He's definitely one of the names on the market that I said I would have really liked for the Yankees to trade for. And I don't know what they would have had to have given up. All I know is that the Marlins did give away a couple of good, really solid prospects for him. So make of that what you will. But I really would have liked for the Yankees to, to get him. And... There were reports here and there of them being interested in him, but of course nothing came of it. And this was one of the moves of the many, very, very few moves that did bother me. This was one of them because I I did want the Yankees to get this kid. But like I said during the week when we spoke about catchers, I more than expected Gary to at least start the 2022 season as the starting catcher, and it looks like we're headed in that direction. So I, I hate to be right about that. I don't have anything personal against Gary. It's just I'm, I'm out of patience with the guy, personally. <laughs> I mean, there are going to be people that come after me about that, the few fans he has left, but, I mean, whatever. I think we've given him plenty of chances, and I think we all know what he is at this point. A really streaky catcher. You're not going to get much from him behind the plate other than a good arm, which is a good quality to have, but you're not going to get much from him behind the plate. And at the plate, you're going to get a whole lot of streaky hitting. And when it's the bad side of streaky there really aren't any worse. (laughs) There really aren't. I don't know what's going to be of him throughout the 2022 season, but to at least start, it's really, especially after this, even though I said this weeks and weeks ago, long before he was tendered a contract this past week, I mean, it really looks like it's realistic now that he's, he's going to start the season as the catcher. He will. So if that does in fact end up happening like I've expected for weeks, then I'll have been right about that too. But it looks like he's going to be the one. So... Moves here, moves there, and the Yankees at that point still nowhere. I'm rhyming a lot today, huh? (laughs) Uh, Otherwise, more moves elsewhere that night. Kirby Yates to Atlanta. Daniel Hudson to the Dodgers. Alex Cobb to the Giants. So many moves. (laughs) Around midnight, the Yankees did do something else, though. They released Chris Giddens. So I'll count that as Tuesday, I guess. I'll count that as Tuesday since it was kind of in the middle of the night. But there's something, I guess. So with the release of Chris Giddens, that also brought the 40-man roster down to 39. So that got some people thinking about if the Yankees could have a move up their sleeve. It didn't really get me excited at all. But And of course, eventually leading up to the lockout, it really didn't end up meaning anything because nothing happened really. But nonetheless, Giddens is apparently going to go play for Japan. According to the Yankees' social medias, they say that he is being released and he wants to play in Japan. So, of course, for Chris Giddens, best of luck to him. I think he's a talented kid. We saw him very briefly in the majors and he didn't really do much. 
Showed some decent things defensively, but then at the plate, he didn't really get to do much. He's a very powerful guy. He's got a great deal of power. So in Japan, if he could flash that power and he can flash the defense, he's going to be very valuable there and he's going to have a lot of fun there. So as far as that, I hope he proves himself to be valuable in Japan. And I, of course, wish Chris Giddens the best of luck. But let's continue on throughout the hectic first half of this past week. Tuesday the 30th, more action. Another one of those shortstops that I mentioned of Correa, Story, and Baez off the board. Javi Baez to the Tigers. Six years, 140 million. So that truly left the final two elite shortstops. And I was never really interested in Baez anyway. So, so from a Yankee standpoint, I didn't really much care for that move. But that did leave the final two elite shortstops. Carlos Correa and Trevor Story. And for Correa, the Tigers, although they announced that they weren't going to spend $300 million, were rumored to be a suitor for him. But of course, after signing Javi Baez, no longer. Again, just, I said it on social media in the middle of the week, he's basically falling into the Yankees' lap at this point. Even Trevor Story. Both of them. The planets are lining up for the both of them, especially Correa, who's seeking ridiculous money. And there are plenty of teams that were rumored to be on him. I heard the Dodgers, even the Red Sox a little bit. He's got an interest. But of all of them, despite the Yankees' lack of action, I mean, <laughs> I think it's safe to say a lot of people expect the Yankees to be the ones to open up their wallets. And if that's the case, then at this point, he's virtually falling into their lap, especially since the Tigers are no longer a suitor for sure now after getting Baez. And again, although they announced they weren't going to spend $300 million, they were still reportedly in on Correa at one point. And now, they're definitely not. So, I mean, obviously this is still unsolved. Still plenty of months left probably until it is solved. So, there's still plenty of time to talk about it. But, that's a story with Correa and Story. Still on the market to this day. And I don't know about you, but I am looking very forward to learning their ultimate fates after a new CBA is agreed on. I mean, with Correa, it's very interesting. I mean, it could be the Dodgers. It could be the Red Sox. He could go back to Houston, even though Houston's offers for him so far, apparently the one that he was officially offered some time ago, was pretty low. And it's interesting. It's very interesting. And the market for Trevor Story has been mostly quiet. So again, the ultimate fates for these guys, I cannot wait to hear what they are. The Cubs signed Jan Gomes. I spoke about him being a good catching target alongside Stallings, so both of them are gone now. So that bothered me a tiny bit. I definitely think Gomes would have been a pretty decent option. Roberto Perez, another catcher, signed with the Pirates. So as you could hear, and as you probably remember, catchers at this point were just flying off the market. <laughs> Someone else off the market now, after being released by our very own Yankees, Clint Frazier being given a chance by the Chicago Cubs on a one-year deal. And I'm very curious to see how he makes out there and how his career rebounds from all the injury troubles he's had with his head, or if it does. But I'm looking very forward to seeing that and how Clint does in Chicago. And then something very interesting was revealed, aside from all the moves being made. It was revealed that Major League Baseball apparently used two different types of baseballs. You remember the whole dead-in-balls fiasco and all that crap? 
Well, they apparently used two different types. <laughs> As the circus continues with all this crap, both the deadened ones and the ones with more carry to them, the juiced balls. Apparently they used both throughout the season. Which, quite frankly, guys, really shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. It seemed like in some games, I mean, it, I even thought this at some points. I was like, what? It's so weird. The ball doesn't seem to be the same. I just didn't say anything because I was like, in the back of my mind, I was like, ah, they can't be doing that. It did seem like in some games, mostly memorable games, like the 9-11 game against the Mets, and especially the Field of Dreams game. I mean, that ball was flying that night. Even I noticed it that night. And it did say that the juice balls were mostly used for marquee games, big deal games. And those would be that. I mean, the 9-11 game and the Field of Dreams game, very believable. Especially because those thoughts were rolling through my head as those games were going on. Especially the Field of Dreams one. Especially that. You cannot tell me that all of those baseballs weren't just flying out of that park. I mean, it was crazy. And many others, just regular games, I mean, the ball just seemed dead. The dead in balls that we were told about before the season, like, they just had no carry. So really, honestly, this news, it really was no surprise to me. Nothing is with this league anymore. <laughs> it just, nothing's a surprise anymore. It's just a big freaking clown show. That's all it is constantly with Major League Baseball. But you know what else isn't surprising? More things happened. <laughs> Joey Wendell was traded to the Marlins. G-Man Choi re-signing with Tampa. Lurie Garcia back to the White Sox. Rugnetto Dor, the last of the three DFA'd players without a team. Well, he has one now. One-year deal with the Orioles, which means we'll be seeing him. He stays within the AL East, and because of that, we will be seeing him. So very interesting with Rugnetto Dor there. And then, since Tuesday was also the deadline to tender contracts, like I mentioned before, the Yanks started their tendering, beginning with Gary Sanchez. Again, to no one's surprise, I even mentioned it briefly before, but to no one's surprise. Like I said earlier, even when we spoke about catchers, I said that despite there being some names out there that I like, there's overall not many options, a thin catcher's market, therefore I... Fully expect Gary to at least start the 2022 season behind the plate, and here we are. So, whatever. He'll make $7.5 million, and the next winter he'll be a free agent. So his team control days will be over. Lucas Litke was also tendered. I'm a fan of that. Very much enjoyed what we saw from him in 2021. First time pitching in the big league since 2015, as we well established a long time ago. And he was used a lot. And he definitely seemed fatigued towards the end there. But overall, good stuff from Litke, and I'm glad he's going to be back. Yanks are bringing Geo back too, at least for now. I mean, any of these guys could still be used for trades, but $6.55 million for Geo for 2022. And $1.75 million for Herman in 2022 as well. So he'll be returning. So they tendered all eligible players. And avoided arbitration with Gio, Litke, and Herman. So no changes as far as these names. At least yet. Because as I said, any of these tendered names could of course still be used in trades. But for now, they're still here. Getting closer and closer to the first now. Middle of the night. 
going into Wednesday the 1st, the final day, really, for anything to be able to happen before the CBA expires. So getting very close to that expiration. Very interesting signing going into Wednesday. The Red Sox are taking a chance on James Paxton. Former Yankee, of course. Had good times. Had bad times. Had a lot of injury times, mainly. (laughs) And unfortunately, that's been a theme for him for years. And even now, he's coming off a Tommy John surgery, so it is a gamble. But the Sox are taking a chance. Very interesting. One year, $10 million. Very similar to how the Yankees took a chance on Corey Kluber just for $1 million more last winter. And knowing that, hey, if this guy stays healthy, we could get good stuff out of him. But Paxton is back in the AL East for the rival Red Sox now. A couple more moves before the lockout. Uh, Rysel Iglesias is back with Anaheim. Corey Knebel signed with the Phillies. Mark Melanson to the Diamondbacks. Marcus Stroman signed with the Cubs. Good to see him leaving town. Um, Chris Taylor. I'm not happy about this one since you know he was my pick to be the center fielder here. If you listen to the center field episode last week and even when I spoke about center field a few weekends ago, I also mentioned him and my wanting him for center field, but he's going back to the Dodgers for four years, $60 million. I'm not thrilled about that. I would have liked to see the Yankees possibly match for that, but maybe he just wanted to go back to L.A. too. I mean, you rarely ever find out the inner details, the inner workings of these of these deals, and maybe the Yankees did try to match it. Maybe they didn't. There were a lot of rumors saying that they weren't in on him up until the point that he was signed, but I don't know. That was another piece that kind of bothered me along with the other couple that I mentioned because I really liked him for center field. I like the fact that he's super utility. I like how he is in center field on top of being super utility. I think he's a great center fielder, and he'll give you some good moments with the bat. With the bat, I still think he would do good things, and I think he's a much better option than Hicks, especially because of Hicks' health problems. And if you look at most offensive categories, I've gone through them all already. Taylor has the edge over him. And I I think he would have been a nice option for the Yankees. But maybe he wanted to go back to L.A. too. Who knows? So I'm a little ticked about that, but whatever. Chris Taylor off the board for center fielders now for after the CBA is agreed on. So. (sighs) Rich Hill signed with Boston as well. Nick Martinez to San Diego. Jackie Bradley Jr. is back with Boston for Hunter Renfro. So Renfro isn't on the Red Sox anymore. Need I go on, guys? <laughs> the point of me running through all this crap in the first place, despite the Yanks not having done a damn thing, except for tendering guys and DFAing Frazier, Wade, and Odor, basically, nothing much worth of note, basically, is just to drive the point home of how freaking crazy this has all been. <laughs> Especially in such a short span of time. And you know something? I may even have missed a couple. <laughs> because like I said in the introduction, in total... Give or take four dozen signings and trades combined. Mostly signings. Four dozen this winter so far, but mostly in the span of those three days. Four if you want to include the back end of Sunday, the ones I reacted to live last week. But in my 14 or 15 years as a baseball fan, I've never seen this kind of action crunch so closely together like this. It was insane. (laughs) Uh, And ever since the lockout, as expected, since, as I said, talks and negotiations need to come to a screeching halt, 
Nothing. And that's how it'll be until after it ends, which, of course, all of us hope and pray, despite the sour relationships between the owners and the Players Association, that the lockout doesn't last too long to the point where it even affects 2022 baseball, which is definitely what you don't want, (laughs) to say the least. So, from rapid fire, deals made here, deals made there, and there, and there, and there, and there, to nothing. And here we are on Sunday, day four of what's expected to be quite a lockout. So the first half of the week, as hectic as it gets. Second half... Yep, nothing. (laughs) Nothing at all. And by the way, those were not sound effects. That was actually me doing that. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, I don't want to forget to mention this. What the players are doing right now with their profile pictures on social media, I just want to say it's pure A-plus content. (laughs) I'll explain. So on MLB.com, when the lockout was put into effect from Wednesday night heading into Thursday at 12.01 a.m., The website, MLB.com, baseball's main website, obviously, changed all of the players' profile pictures to, like, a a general silhouette AVI for everybody. Just, like, a silhouette photo. And it looks bizarre. (laughs) It's so weird. And then, after they did that on the main site, individual players (laughs) started putting the same thing for their profile pictures on social media. (laughs) It's so funny. To me, it's funny. Tyone did it. Voight did it. A few other guys around the league did it. So if you ask me, that's just a top-notch troll job by the players. (laughs) So speaking of the lockout, since we're in the midst of it right now, might as well flow right into our social media segment, since it partially has to do with the lockout. And because we're over 45 minutes in here. (laughs) So today's social media segment, as always, we will start on Twitter. I've got a question for you. After all the chaos that's taken place pre-lockout, the barrage that happened of signings and a little bit of trades, but mostly signings, I've just got a regular social media question for you today. And that question is, how do you feel about the way things have gone for the Yankees heading into the lockout? What may seem like an obvious question to some, because of course the Yankees did virtually nothing, and most people are probably upset about that, as they should be, to a certain degree, but as they should be, but it's really not all that cut and dry, because this answer does especially depend on when a new CBA is agreed on, but there is still much time left of the winter to get the CBA agreed on, and still make the moves necessary, especially given the fact that most guys that a lot of Yankee fans have wanted the Yankees to get... They're still out there. So some people aren't as worried. So it's really not as cut and dry of an answer as some of you may think it is. So that's the question. And I pose it to you on Twitter and Instagram as usual, and we'll get to your replies. But for my takes, I mean, I I think I basically said them mostly throughout the show already. I mean, my take is that I never like to see a lot of other teams just having a party just constantly signing people in a flurry of moves that seemed unending. 
Just a, a, an unending party going on all around baseball, and the Yankees just didn't participate. <laughs> and that's never fun to be a part of. So, in that sense, I'm very upset. And there are a couple of names out there, like I've said, that I wanted them to go after that are off the board now. Guys like Chris Taylor, Jacob Stallings. I think Jan Gomes was a nice option for catcher two alongside Stallings. Many of you know how big of a fan I've been of him for a long time now, but Starling Marte too. Like I said, there were some names to come off the board throughout all this time that I was upset to see go. And of course, because of how important the shortstop class is for the Yankees, seeing Corey Seager get off the board was a bit discouraging as well. Especially when you saw the money that he was signed to. And knowing that Correa is probably going to get even more. Likely will. Or definitely will get even more. And that's not even mentioning Seager's talent. <laughs> so in that sense, I'm, I'm upset. I'm ticked that they didn't participate in anything. And that there were some names here that I thought would have been fine fits with the Yankees. Really. I, I really do think that. And I've given my reasons through time as to why I thought those things. So factor that in, along with the fact that they weren't even in on some of these guys. Not even reaching out to somebody, that's annoying to me. At least reach out to them. So for those reasons, I'm a bit annoyed. But on the other hand, I can also balance this portion. Is that of course, hopefully in light of, and it is somewhat dependent on this reason. Hopefully in light of the CBA being agreed on, maybe hopefully within the next month or two. That there will still be plenty of time with the offseason to get the moves done that you have to. Even if it goes a bit into February, you can get things done if you care enough. <laughs> and the other fact that there are still plenty of names out there whom we've all wanted the Yankees to get to address gaping holes on this team, there are still plenty of those names out there. Correa, some people want story. We've spoken about how much we'd love if they traded for Olsen from the A's. There are still even some starting pitching names out there, like Carlos Rodon. I mean, we'll talk about that more when we talk about starting pitching. That's virtually one of the last things that we haven't spoken about yet this winter. We've basically addressed every other position of need, more or less. But there are still some names out there even for starter, if the Yankees want to go down that route. There are names who have come off the board, like Robbie Ray, Kevin Gossman, Max Scherzer was signed, Justin Verlander went back to Houston, the list goes on. But my point is, despite there being some names that have come off the board that some people may have liked for the Yankees to at least check in on, or maybe even get, there are still so many out there that could help the Yankees in a big way that many of us, or all of us, have spoken about at some point this offseason so far, and they're still out there. Primarily for shortstop and first, two massive, gaping holes, positions of need in the infield. Correa and Story are out there. Rizzo can come back. Olsen can still be traded for. And the rumors that heated up for a while, which were bizarre, regardless of how you feel about this, but Freddie Freeman is out there, even though the large belief, and I even agreed with this myself about a week or two ago, if you recall, that it's extremely difficult to imagine him leaving Atlanta, and that also seems to be the thought process throughout a lot of teams themselves, but you still have three potential options out there for first base, all available, whether it be for signing or a trade. And when we get around to talking about starting pitching, there are still starting options left out there. You can still address certain things. You can. 
And there's still time left to go. And again, that's also depending on when a new CBA is agreed on. I'm not forgetting about that. Because nothing can happen until that happens. No negotiations, no talks, no signings or trades. No, nothing can happen. Nothing. And I hate it as much as the next person does. I think it's very bad for the sport to have any laboring issues. But I'm basically balancing those two things. So I'm upset, but I'm also trying to be patient. I, I'm, I'm really having a tough time with it. It's, it's like a scale, trying to balance the two. <laughs> trying to be as reasonable about it as possible. And I think that is being pretty reasonable. But basically, that's how I feel about this, more or less. Let's get your thoughts on this, because we are running up against the clock here as I look up and see the time. We are about 52 minutes in here, so let's... Let's go on and hear your replies with the very same question. I'm probably only going to read about 10 to, I don't know, like 12 or 13 of them here on Twitter. And then I'll read a couple over on Instagram. Get some of your thoughts on this subject, how you're feeling about the Yankees as we headed into the lockout now that we're in the lockout. I expect a lot of frustrated fans. (laughs) Up first, we have my friend Laura, at Laura underscore Icemont. And Laura says, I'm a little bummed but there are still plenty of moves that'll happen after the lockout. Plus, some of the top free agents are still available, so I'm confident the Yankees will make a big move before the season begins. Yeah, it's basically where I'm at, Laura. I mean, I'm a bit bummed because there were some names out there that I would have liked the Yankees to get that I said, just a couple of them, but plenty are still available, whether it be for signing or trade, and I would hope that At least one of those things is done before the season starts, so that's basically where I'm at. Rebecca at Peace Now for Life says, Honestly, I'm worried. The Yankees haven't added any pieces that'll make the team better. This lockout needs to be over quickly, so they have time to make the necessary moves that'll bring a championship. Yeah, that's that's mainly what has people concerned, because there's no guarantee as to when the lockout's going to end. It could be as as long as they don't agree on anything. (laughs) Or even one particular thing that gets in the way of agreeing on a new CBA. If it doesn't happen, then it could drag on for God knows how long. So that's the main thing, and that's what I mentioned before, and that's what has some people worried. But yeah, it is a bit annoying that there were a couple of pieces maybe that went off the board that some of us would have liked, especially me, as I said. But yeah, let's just hope that this lockout doesn't last long, because you don't want it to. Wouldn't be good. Rob at Laker 477 says, I'm extremely ticked off with the way things have gone so far. Boone was brought back, Cashman blamed last season's failure on the players, and then he sat back and watched as all kinds of free agents signed with other teams. Hal is the complete opposite of his father, and I hate it. Yeah, well, there's one thing you need to remember. If Cashman doesn't have the room to spend, that's not on Cashman. That's on Hal. And especially if the Yankees aren't willing to spend what's necessary, especially after an offseason like last offseason where they stayed under the luxury tax for the express purpose that it could be reset and then they could go nuts. And especially after the new CBA is agreed upon and it creates an even better opportunity for them to spend and they still don't, then... People really need to start placing the blame where it truly belongs. And that belongs to Hal Steinbrenner. When Cashman doesn't have the room to spend, and yes, there are still some past contracts that have been made that prevents them from spending in certain areas in certain ways now. I get that. And bad or flawed moves like that, especially at a high volume, whatever you may be talking about, could be blame that's placed on Brian Cashman. 
But when it comes to not having room to spend when you could easily do it, and after the tax was reset, I get wanting to wait until the new luxury tax threshold with the new CBA, but especially even after resetting last year, if Hal Steinbrenner doesn't allow Brian Cashman to do whatever it takes to put a championship contender on the field, then that is blame that deserves to be placed on Hal Steinbrenner. So I just want to make that clear. This offseason, I know a lot of people already have their ideas about the both of them, Cashman and Hal, and I to a certain degree also do. But this offseason is a crucial one. In light of being in a championship window right now and coming off of a vastly underperforming season in which the Yankees definitely came up short from expectations in basically every single way except for a couple of factors on the team and, of course, their ultimate goal mostly. This is a crucial point, and we're really going to see what they're made of or not made of this winter once a new CBA is agreed upon. We are going to see just how serious or unserious of an organization that they really are. Just wanted to say that much. So I hear you, Rob. I mean, I know a lot of people aren't a fan of Boone. I'm not the biggest fan of the guy either, although I expected him to come back. I just really was surprised they put a fourth year as an option on that contract of his. That really, that seemed like a bit much to me, but we'll see. There's still there's still time left to go. That's what I'm trying to grasp onto as well. All right, let's keep going. At NYY1523 says, disappointed about no moves. I think Hal wants to see where the tax threshold is going to be in the new CBA. Hope that didn't cost them too much. They're either going to go full beast mode on free agency after the lockout, or it'll be another year of doing just enough to be competitive and banking on prospects. Yeah, the banking on prospects thing, I mean, you hear that a lot about what their future shortstop plans could be, whether it be signing a Correa or a Story, a stopgap like Kiner Falefa or Simmons in waiting for Volpe and or Peraza. And of course, I hope they go with the former So, because prospects, as we know, for the most part, do not pan out. And you're much better off going with a proven talent, a proven elite talent especially, over banking on a prospect, banking on them being unbelievable. And some turn out to be, of course, that happens. I'm not saying it never does, of course it happens. Otherwise, we'd have no talent at all. (laughs) But more often than not, especially when you're in a crucial championship window like this, You really can't blame people for wanting to go after the proven elite talent, as opposed to waiting on a prospect that might not even pan out, and then you're screwed. But yeah, I also mentioned that as a possibility, them wanting to wait for the new luxury tax threshold with the new CBA. It's possible. It is. And while I'm not one who wants the Yankees just to make an irrational move just to make a move, I am myself very... Rationally disappointed that there were no moves made because there were a couple of names in there that I mentioned that I would have liked for them to get. But those are all possibilities, yeah. But it's going to speak for their true character as to what their real intentions are and what they really care or don't care about with what they do after the lockout. We're going to have to see. At Bullpen Betty says, Not the dream scenario I was hoping for, but I lean towards the emotional and dramatic for entertainment purposes. (laughs) Sometimes, admittedly, as a content creator and a broadcaster myself, I definitely do the same sometimes too, and so do the rest of us, because that's just naturally what we do. (laughs) All right, at Keith and Cambo says, I actually don't hate these moves. 
The asking price is too high for most of those guys. I wish we had gotten Semyon for $25 million a year, but for the rest, they aren't worth $30 million. Well, I actually think the $25 million for Semyon is a bit much too, even though he's coming off of a 45 home run season, which is terrific, and we all knew that he was going to get paid. But Semyon, along with a lot of the other free agents who signed, did get overpaid in my opinion. $25 million for Semyon is a lot of money. It's a lot. And over $30 million for Lick Seager, it's a lot of money too. A lot of it's a lot of money. <laughs> like I said, I think most of the free agents got overpaid. I really, really do. But no, I definitely think that the Yankees, they've got to do something after this lockout. They've got to do what's necessary to either get Rizzo back, get Olsen, especially get Olsen. If you could somehow get Freeman for a reasonable price and get him to somehow leave Atlanta, that'd be great. I mean, anyone who turns Freddie Freeman away is just crazy. I hear he's asking for six years and 180, and I get why some people at age 32 might be hesitant to give him six years, but it's Freddie freaking Freeman, people. And there has been no sign, no sign of any sort of a decline from him at all. But regardless, whether it be doing that with addressing first any of those things or getting an elite shortstop with Correa or Story, they've got to do something. At Yanni Mo says, so far, too quiet and terrible. Hoping better efforts can develop after the lockout, so we'll see. Yeah, I hope so. That's the main hope. <laughs> At Brian underscore TGP says, Said that they didn't really make any moves, but happy that there are still plenty of ways to get better. Yeah, I, I'm like I said, I'm sad that they didn't really make any moves either. And there were a couple of those names that I mentioned before that I would have liked for them to at least look into or get. But there are still plenty of those names that have been thrown around with them that could definitely help them get better. They're still out there. So that that's basically where I'm at. Basically, that sort of balance. At Jake Rep NY says. Disappointing, but still a lot of deals that can get done when the lockout is over. So no overreaction just yet right now. That's where I'm at, Jake. That's that's basically where I'm at. Spencer at Musician DMD says, To me, lack of news does not mean lack of action. I'm very patient. I believe, as unpopular as it may be, that Cash is doing his due diligence exploring trades and free agents properly. I would rather that than the New York Yankees making any hasty transaction that could have long-term consequences. The Yankees paid a price for George Steinbrenner's impatience, meddling, and poor signings in the 80s, all of which led to the dreadful 1990 season. I would, with all sincere respects, urge my fellow esteemed Yankee fans to be patient. That's, that's very humble advice. It really is. And you're right, that doesn't necessarily mean there's nothing going on, but... Yeah, I mean, they always say, oh, we, we evaluate all aspects of the market and this and that. We always hear that from Hal and Cashman and all of them. And I don't want them to make a hasty transaction either. I said that before. I'm not one for them to make an irrational move either. But there were a couple of names out there I would have liked for them to get. But the, on the other hand, like I've also acknowledged, and many others have, there are still plenty of names out there that I would like for them to get very much. They're still out there. So, I hear you, Spencer. At B. Bear, hope I'm saying that right, <laughs> they say, I'm not upset. I believe in Cashman, and I think Hal will let him roll post-lockout. I hope so. Otherwise, a lot of blame is, is going to be thrown Hal Steinbrenner's way, and it's all going to be deserved. But I really hope he lets him. I really, really do. At VJL33 says, I'm feeling fine. All right, fair enough. At Sean Shalinsky says, the Yankees have done such little, it is alarming. Yeah, like I said, most of the names weren't 
people that they should have gone after or even were on their radar. I mean, I do think that some of them that weren't should have been on their radar. And a couple of names did bother me that they let go by. But yeah, for the most part, I don't think it's alarming. I think it'll be very alarming if they still continue to do little to nothing and do little to nothing to make the team better after the lockout, after the tax threshold is set and everything. If they don't do anything after that, then that is terrible. (laughs) And you're going to hear a lot of anger on this show, to say the least. (laughs) A lot of it. All right, let's just do a couple more. Let's see, who do we got next? Let's go with at SodJohn12300. And they say, the Yankees never make a transaction on our timetable. This is not Cashman's first rodeo. He knows exactly what he's doing. I believe they're playing possum and will strike with force once the lockout is over. I believe we'll be pleasantly surprised. If not, storm the castle. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you on that one. But yeah, they better. They better do it after the lockout. And uh, yeah, they usually never make a move on our timetable. Usually. Occasionally they have. Sometimes. But, and I know this isn't Cashman's first rodeo, but there have been things that he's done wrong in the past, so I don't, I don't blame people for choosing to go after him, really, for certain things where it's deserved. But that's the main thing you hope for. After the lockout, they just better do what's necessary. At WNL Law 99 says, Bad. I feel nothing. I'm dead inside. Like any good Yankee fan. <laughs> no, fair enough, Brian. Listen, I get the frustration. I do. While everybody else is having a good time and your team does nothing, it's a crappy feeling. It is. So I'm, I'm not going to blame anybody for feeling that way. But it's going to especially be time to feel dead inside if they do little to nothing after the lockout. Then it's then the gloves are coming off, <laughs> to say the least. At BigBlue0923 says, It's hard to say. Pretty much nothing has happened. Yeah, it's bothersome beforehand, but if nothing happens afterwards, and like I said... Oh, boy. (laughs) One more. Let's see who to finish off with. Let's see here. Who gets the last reply on Twitter? Let's finish off with at technogeezer underscore 54. And they say, way too timid. But if nothing happens after a new collective bargaining agreement, especially, then they outright lied to the fans about improving the team. Yeah. A bit timid beforehand, yeah. A couple of names have flied off I wasn't happy about, but especially if nothing after, you're absolutely right. Because they acknowledge, oh, shortstop is the main position of need, our top priority, and we'll do everything it takes to make this team more athletic and more likely to go after a title. And they gave you the usual shtick. They did. But if nothing is done after the CBA, after resetting the tax last year, with basically the most elite shortstop class we've seen in a very long time, in a year that the Yankees happen to desperately need a shortstop, and all kinds of other moves that they can make to vastly improve the team, if nothing is done, then yeah, you're absolutely right. We were just outright lied to. So I totally agree there. I'm being patient until after it's over, although I am sad about a couple of names that are gone already. I'm choosing to be patient, and a lot of the replies here reflected that exact same thing. I'm happy to hear that. And I thank you all on Twitter for replying. You guys are the, just the best. Like I always say, you're just the best. Your interactions are awesome. They're incredible. And there's a great deal of it every week. And I wish, I just wish I could get to all of you. But before we end, let's head on to Instagram and see if some Instagrammers are feeling a similar sort of way or maybe even exactly the same way. Same question. How do you feel about the way things have gone for the Yankees heading into the lockout? 
Let's start with official 52011, and they say they haven't done much yet. Hopefully, after the lockout, they will spend a lot. Uh, that's the hope. Wait for the lockout and just get to work. Get to work. <laughs> Next, we have Mountain Gal 456, my good friend Tina, and she says, so far, very uneventful. Oh, yeah, especially since the lockout began. Nothing can happen. But yeah, leading up to it, of course. Yeah, very quiet. All right, let's finish up with the final two, the usual final two. First up is my girlfriend, at Vic Salimo. And Vic says, I know that we're only in December, and there is still time yet, and we're in a lockout. But other teams have made big moves real fast. And if the Yankees want to develop a winning team as they say they do, they need to do a lot more than what they've done so far which of course is not much, and they need to get to work after the lockout. Yeah, I mean, you're acknowledging there's a lot of time left, even though they haven't done much, but after the lockout, they've got to get to work. You're absolutely right, Vic. Let's finish up with my mom, Julia Gina Scudero, and my mom says, I'm a bit concerned. Although I don't think it's bad because a lot of big names are still out there, I would feel more confident had they had made more moves because who knows how long this lockout is going to go on. Let's hope not too long. They especially desperately need their shortstop situation rectified, and I hope that's the first thing they do after the lockout. Also, sit Aaron Hicks. <laughs> As I said before, let's hope for the best. <laughs> yeah, mom's not a big Aaron Hicks fan, like I'm not. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, yeah, I mean, you hope the lockout doesn't last too long. You hope and pray. And shortstop certainly is their top priority, mom, and even they have said as much. We'll see if they can put their money where their mouth is with that and everything else. But that is all for our social media segment today, guys. I mean, just an awesome discussion as always. Had to be cut down a little bit because of how much news there was, which is definitely going to decrease in future weeks throughout this lockout because, I mean, nothing can happen. So short of the Yankees maybe hiring some more coaches and things like that, nothing external can happen. So we're not going to have too much to talk about. But hey, like I said, Yapping Yankees is still going to be a blast. Still going to have plenty of great content out there for you. So hang tight and look forward to it because it's going to be fun. But speaking of fun, as always, this week's social media segment, like the rest of them, was as fun as ever. And I thank you all for that. And I thank you all for tuning in today because guess what? That is all for episode 123 of Yapping Yankees today. Please remember real quick, guys, to follow me on social medias at Mike Scudero NY on Facebook, at Mike Scudero on Twitter, and Mike Scuds 97 on Instagram. Subscribe to Yapping Yankees on all four platforms it's available on, YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud, and show your usual love across the board, guys. And if you have the time, listen to the past Yapping Yankees episodes that you may have missed as well. Episodes 34 up to episode 123 today are available on YouTube, and all Yapping Yankees episodes, including today's, are available on SoundCloud, Apple, and Spotify. Once again, thank you 3,000 for listening to me yap today, my friends. I am Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you next Sunday, December 12th, when I come at you with episode 124 of Yapping Yankees. But until then, guys, hang in there. Be patient, especially with this lockout. <laughs> Please stay safe, look out for your loved ones, and enjoy your week, my friends. Despite the lockout, the discussion will go on next Sunday. 
Take care.